Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Sophie. Hello, Jade. I just want to start by saying if the intro sounds a little funny on my end, I am like sitting here in a monsoon. So I promise the actual episode, it was not raining this heavily, but the weather this morning has been crazy. So I apologize if there's thunder, heavy rain, hail, whatever. I'm not going to blame you for the weather, but just so you you know. I mean, I'm good, but I'm not that good. No, you're not. But the weather it's blue sky here, baby. It's coming through your way. What? You live like 20 minutes away. What are you doing? It's blue about? sky. Everywhere's blue sky. So good. Now, Jade, how's your week been? Well, my week has been a bit of a roller coaster. I know mm-hmm. I mentioned last week that I was struggling a little bit mentally and I got to the point where I needed to see my psychiatrist just to work out what was going on because I feel like I've been doing, you know, all the right things to make Mm. sure that I don't get to this point, except here I am at this point. So my brain's pretty much rattled at the moment. I am all over the place. I forget things. I haven't been eating much anything at all, really. I just, I'm not hungry. I've completely stopped exercising. I am confused. I'm irritable. Um, and it's been a fair few weeks. So when I popped in to see him, I didn't pop in. I literally sat down and then burst into tears. Um, (laughs) he was like looking through all my history and he's like, every year around this time, I seem to go into some sort of depressive episode and he Mm -hmm. said that it's very common for people to have a seasonal depressive episode. A lot of people get it in winter. I was going to say I've heard of it before like in winter but like October just seems to be a really random time. Yeah, and he said that it is common for people to get it in spring and summer. So perhaps because I've been, I mean, not that I'm sitting in a miserable, cold, dark place. It's Byron Bay for God's sake. Like it's pretty sunny most of the year. But there is something about this time, and I've had it in Melbourne as well, it's out of my control. I can't help it. So at the moment he's told me to pretty much stop trying to fix myself, you know, think positively, stop trying. He's like, you need to do less. You need to seriously just. Because you're exhausted. I'm burnt out. I am. I've had a Barry. Anyway, I feel comfortable talking about it because I know everyone's different, but I uh, have to up my medication around this time. Mm-hmm. And for a few months that works. And then I go back down onto my normal dose. And then I'm literally feeling a okay, like I normally do with the odd hiccup here and there, but nothing like as severe as this. Well, I'm sure you've had mixed feelings about, you know, kind of getting a fresh diagnosis, but I'm stoked for you that you've got some answers because, I mean, I saw you the day before you were seeing the psychiatrist and, yeah, you were just obviously so confused as to why you were feeling this way. So I've I'm glad you've had some answers, even if that answer is confusing. Yeah, I feel like there's no, like it it helps in the sense that, you know what, it may not happen for a very long time or it almost feels like, oh, I can hear thunder on your side. Mm. How are your blue skies going? (laughs) They're really good. (laughs) Yeah, I just feel like it's a weird, it's just a fucking weird time. It's really weird. It's like you hear someone say this is what it is and it almost makes you feel better that someone's understanding you. 
Mm. And I, I was just getting really tired of, I know, and this happens a lot when, you know, even when you're a mother or a parent, people just want to say things to you to make you feel better, but it does not help. It doesn't help that people say, you should go and exercise. You'll feel better if you do this. You'll feel better. It actually confuses me more because I can't physically and mentally do that at the moment. So when yeah. I go and do it, I get worse because I mm. can't do it. So I beat myself up about it. So anyway, I'm pretty much just writing it out. I mean, we were having this discussion the other day about, you know, how great it is that there's this emphasis on self-care nowadays and whether that be, you know, for each person eating well, exercising, taking time for themselves. It's so great that there's this emphasis on it, but it also makes you feel like when you're doing all the right things and you're still not feeling great, like for me, that's anxiety more so than depression. You almost feel worse because you're like, well, I'm doing all these things and I still feel shit. Like I should be feeling better. So I think that we need to emphasize the importance of self-care, but we need to also emphasize the importance of, you know, maybe seeing a psychologist, maybe seeing a psychiatrist, you know, for some people like yourself going on medication, like we need to realize that sometimes self-care just isn't enough. And that doesn't mean you know, that you should feel worse about yourself because that's not enough. Absolutely. And I said to him, I said, look at me. I look like I have my shit together. My nails are fabulous. I have like makeup on. I'm dressed well. My hair's brushed. It's like, calm down. Obviously you feel good about yourself. Okay. You look fucking fabulous. Yeah. I was trying to get him to give me a compliment, but (laughs) I, I was like, I am fine physically, like my appearance is fine, but I am like, even talking to you right now, I am absolutely going insane in my head. It It is just something that no one can feel the pain and no one can feel or understand what you're going mm. through unless they've been through it. And you don't expect people to do that, but it is a real silent sickness and I really feel for anyone that is suffering from it or anyone that has a partner or a friend or family member that is going through it because it's actually even on the other side very hard to be that person to mm. support them because most of the time they either push you away or they're yelling or they're very irritable mm. and it's just a yeah, it, it's not a great time, but I feel like talking about it, you know, it must make me feel better. I said to him, he he asked actually, do I talk about my mental health? And I said, yes, I do. And my dad said the other day, you're really good at giving advice and sharing stories, but you aren't very good at taking it. And mm. it's true. But then the psychiatrist said, I'm a psychiatrist for a reason because I've had problems and a mechanic mm. became a mechanic because he had like, you know, a broken car and, you know, just there's a reason why people do things. Mm. So it all makes sense in the end, I think. I don't even know yeah. if I, I'm making sense right now, but yeah. And look, even if talking about it doesn't necessarily help yourself, like as long as it's not further harming yourself. Yeah. I think that it's proven in the past that has definitely helped other people out there. So I applaud you for your bravery. And yeah, I'm like always so proud of you, but it's, you know, it's some of the people in my life that I look up to the most that suffer with mental health issues the most. And you want to, as an outside person, just say to them like, oh, I wish you saw yourself the way that I see you. And, you know, when you talk about like having, you know, negative thoughts in your head, I just want to say to you like, oh my gosh, you know, all the people around you just see you so differently to how, I mean, you see yourself so differently when you're feeling well to when you're not feeling well. Like, so, I mean, you, you know what a good thing's about you, but I guess when you're in it, it's just too hard to see those things. It's just frustrating because I can understand that I am in this headspace right now and it is self-destructive and I, Mm. I don't know if it's almost worse that I know that I'm going through it and I can't help it. But yeah, I can so see, out of control. So out of control. My like the insight almost doesn't even help no. because you just feel more out of control. Exactly. So it's almost like, what's the point? And then because I get anxious about not being able to control it, my mind overacts and I just I just fall apart silently. I'm a silent person. I pretty much withdraw from a lot of people and a lot of things. I was going to say you're the loudest silent person I've ever met in my life. But I think that's common. It's, It's often, you know, like 
it can so often be that extrovert that, you know, can put on such a good performance, but internally things aren't good. Yep. And I think when I come out of this that I, you know, it's important to work on your weaknesses because I feel like if you can confront them, then you can grow from them, you can learn from them and you can push through. And I always have this mentality that, you know, I've dug myself a hole and I've learned to actually climb out of it. And I can see that I can still climb out of it, but I'm currently in it. But at least I've Mm. already dug that hole dug out before. You know what I mean. Everyone's like, wow, this is deep, girls. This is really deep. (laughs) But anyway, any highs of the week? (laughs) My parents are here. That is my biggest high. I haven't seen mum and dad for a very long time. It has been so nice to be able to be with them. It has been just, I don't know, just even the physical support has been incredible. And I am going away this weekend, which would have already happened, but we are just going, not camping, to a caravan (laughs) park, very close, very, very simple, and just having a little staycation with the family which will be nice. The weather should be good. So we're just going to take it easy and yeah, be together. How are you? I'm really good. Thank you. I've had a great week. Good. Yeah. I mean, once this comes out, I will have gone away for a little girls weekend just to Brunswick Head. So not far Um, with one of my girlfriends for two nights. You weren't invited. (laughs) With one of my girlfriends for two nights and then another one of our friends is joining us just for the Saturday night. So I'm really excited about that. We are just keeping it super low key reading, drinking margaritas, lying by the pool. Just, so I, I'm just excited to just not be on anyone else's time and just relax. Um, yeah. So that's really exciting. Uh, I don't think I've had any lows this week. Another high of my week is the incredible support we got from last week's oh, episode about yes. everyone else being scared <laughs> when they're alone at night. It is a real issue. Like so many people and so many people who said my husband goes away or my partner goes away eight nights in a fortnight and I do not sleep when he's, he or she is gone. And I'm like, What? How? How do you function? They have to. I'm complaining because he goes away for two nights every so often. I, oh my goodness. Anyway, just thank you for your support (laughs) and not making me feel (laughs) like a wuss of a 30-year-old. Now, you told me you've got a mum hack for us this week. Okay, so my mum hack came from my friend that I was camping with. You remember my horror story that is very quiet. Let me guess, the camping mum hack is don't go camping. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's obvious. The camping mum hack, it's absolutely genius. So usually packing involves a lot of arguments between partners. It gets very frustrating. It just doesn't go well. And this is not the first person that has mentioned this to me. So it is something. Apparently it is much better if you allow your husband to or partner to go an hour before you to set up. Ah. Yep. Let them set up because they like to do it. You're not there yelling at them. They're not, you know, yelling at you. And then you rock up. And they've already set it up. There's no arguments. Yeah. And boom, absolute game changer. The only thing is I hate driving and that means you have to have two cars. That's the only thing. I mean, look, put our podcast on and whittle away the hours. But I do jump into the passenger seat at any moment that I can. No, I like driving. Sometimes when there's no one else there to drive. (laughs) You know what? I would actually, I would prefer to drive and rock up with everything set up than me have to be there and get stressed. So I am doing that that. next time for sure. Yeah, so good. I love that. We actually had a Rudolph Fabulous sent in this week. It's from Michelle and she said, Rude or fabulous, on Saturday I asked my husband if he wanted to go for a walk. He said, yes. So I popped both the kids in the double pram and said, see you later, have fun, and I went back to bed. (laughs) 
Michelle, you are so that fabulous. Is fabulous. Do you know what? When Poppy was first born and Nick and I were first parents, whenever I like wanted something first done, parents. I would always phrase everything as a question to Nick. Like, do you reckon she needs this or do you reckon we should do this? And it got to the point where he's like, I know what you're doing. You're trying <laughs> to like politely just ask me to do something. Just tell me what you want. He got so annoyed. So if I was like, would you like to go for a walk? And then sent them off. He would have just been like, just tell me you want me to go for that's so nice though. Mine involves F words, so not so nice. <laughs> anyway, let's get into today's episode. We spoke to the beautiful Alana from Mummy Plus Mama. She is the beautiful mother of Leo and she is part of a same-sex relationship and they went through a very long journey of IVF to conceive their beautiful little bub. And just a trigger warning on this one, we do speak about IVF, which I know can be triggering for people and we also speak about miscarriage mm. in it as well and genetic testing so yeah mind-blowing story just when you think that you know oh this is going to be a really quick story there's just more layers and more layers and more layers so we hope you enjoy Hello, Alana. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. I feel like I've been following your journey for so long. So it's really exciting to have you on because I feel like it's, yeah, it's a a story that's going to help so many women out there. So before we get started, do you think you'd be able to tell our lovely listeners a little bit about yourself and your newly grown family? (laughs) Hey guys, thank you for having me. It's um, really exciting. I've been a big fan of your podcast as well for a long time. So I'm Alana and my partner is Amanda and we're from Cronulla in Sydney. And we just welcomed our little boy, Leo. He's our little rainbow baby. So we did IVF for four years and now he's here. Amazing. <laughs> amazing. Yeah. And if only it were that easy. <laughs> yeah. And four years later now he's here. Yeah, um, yeah you it's guys, just simple like that. Yeah. You guys have been through a bit of a roller coaster, potentially understatement of the decade to get Leo. <laughs> Would you mind kind of taking us back to the start and taking us on that journey, maybe when you and Amanda decided that you wanted to start a family and what happened from there? Yeah. So, I mean, we've been together since 2012 and kind of back then I knew I wanted kids. I, I've always wanted kids. Amanda wanted kids, but didn't think it had ever happened because she was gay and she didn't actually want to carry a baby, but I wanted to carry a pregnancy. So I was just hellbent. I was going to have a child no matter what. I'd kind of seen a documentary on single mother by choice and she found her own donors and, and went through IVF. So I kind of always had that in the back of my mind. And then when I met Amanda, I kind of knew that was it. Like she was the one, we were going to have a family. And so in 2015, no, 2016, sorry, we went for our very first appointment. So obviously being a same-sex couple, we needed a bit of help. So we needed a donor. So there's a few ways that you can kind of do that. You can kind of find your own donor. You can either take them to a clinic to donate. You can get them to donate and you can kind of do your DIY at home. Oh, you which can we have clinic. had a incredible discussion yeah. about. With Leah Bell, yeah. that's what they did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I, I thought about that, but just the legalities in that and and whatnot was just so scary. So, mm. so we just kind of opted to go through a clinic which had connections to donors and that's kind of where we started. So in 2016, we kind of went and had our first consultations with IVF um, specialists and picked our clinic they were just kind of like, look, you're just here for sperm. It's going to be easy. You'll be pregnant yeah. in no time. So in uh, mid-2017, uh, we kind of went in, did our first cycle, and we started off with IUI because I was socially infertile. What is IUI? So that's interuterine insemination. Yep. So that's basically just getting the sperm and just like squirting it up there. It's kind of as close to natural as possible. Ah, okay. And you just kind of hope for the best. So that's a step before IVF. Yes. If you're not medically infertile, when you go to an IVF clinic, you start off with IUI. You can do IVF straight away, but you don't get the the rebates, the Medicare rebates. So most people start off with IUI. And if you do three of those and you don't fall pregnant, then you can be kind of written off as infertile. And you'd had no issues before this that may have indicated you would have trouble other than 
the fact that, you know, you and your partner couldn't fall pregnant together. You had had no issues in the past of like endometriosis, irregular cycles, anything like that? No. So like I'd, I'd kind of been diagnosed with PCOS as a teenager, but my cycles were regular and kind of as I got older, my hormones kind of regulated. So I did a whole bunch of testing before we started the IUIs and absolutely everything was normal. Yeah. So hormone levels and everything they test for, like clotting factors. Um, I did a sonohistogram, which kind of squirts like a dye into your uterus and tubes to make sure that they're all open. Everything looked great. Everything looked perfect. The doctor said, you'll be pregnant in no time, that you'll be pregnant first go. So we didn't want to get our hopes up, but we went away pretty excited. Yeah. Uh, you know, went through the whole process of picking donors. Yeah, how do you pick a donor? <laughs> it's so interesting. How do you decide? Uh, we started off with this whole list, this wish list, you know. We wanted this, that, whatever. <laughs> because it was my egg and I'm quite fair and light, like light hair, light eyes, light skin. So we were going to pick an Italian or Mediterranean donor so it matched Ooh, Amanda. Nice, beautiful. Yeah, but we also looked at all the health, whatnot, and we were kind of like, oh, this guy's got cancer in the family. We're not going for that. And then we're like, no, that's stupid. Like you can't control that, (sighs) you know. But it's it's hard. You can't control it. But when it's there listed in front of you and you're like picking things for your unborn child, like that must be such a mind fuck. Oh, it is. It is. It really is. And you're like, it's just, you don't really get that many donors to choose from in Australia. Yeah. Um, It's not like America where you can literally just scroll through pages and pages of donors. Do you we see the photo of, of them? Sometimes, sometimes, depending on the sperm bank. So you might see like a childhood photo, an adolescent photo. Sometimes they have adult photos, but not a lot. <laughs> so, And they're all anonymous? Yeah. So in Australia, they have to be de-identified, mm-hmm. so not anonymous. So the child can contact them at 18 if they want to. Oh, wow. I'm not, I'm not quite sure of the reasoning why Australia doesn't have anonymous, but yeah, so de-identified. That makes it really hard because if people wanted to donate their sperm purely to donate sperm and not have any connection, then they can't. Yeah, correct. And that's why there's really not any Australian donors. It's it's just kind of not not done in Australia. Like, well, we don't have cryobanks or large cryobanks and two, they're not compensated at all. And, you know, three, they can't be anonymous. So it's really tough. Well, like, yeah. I thought there would at least be like kind of an opt-in, opt-out option where you no, could. Really. Yeah. Yeah, no. There so, you go. And at the end of the process, when the baby's born, the baby goes on a donor registry list. So any baby that's conceived with any donation, sperm, egg, I believe also through surrogates as well, they, mm-hmm. they go on like a donor registry. Yeah. So they can connect to siblings or diblings, as I know, like donor siblings later on in life. Oh, yeah. that's so cute, diblings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. But it does add an extra layer where it's like, mm. well, yeah, I mean, I guess there would be some parents out there that that's exactly what they would want and then there's some parents that that would be a really uncomfortable thought. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And for a while it was an uncomfortable thought for Amanda because, you know, she was really really concerned that one day the baby would take off and mm. wouldn't want to know her being the non-biological parent and would want to go and find, you know, the donor or, you know, call the donor dad or something like that, you know, and that that was really hard for her at the beginning. But as we'll find out, it's kind of worked out in a different way. So. Yes, yeah, so keep going. Yeah. So you've gone to the, get the donor. You've somehow yeah. picked someone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then what happens? Yeah, so we went in for our first IUI in kind of May 2017, went away. We knew that there was kind of only about a 20% chance of conceiving as with natural conception, it's about 20% per cycle. And we're really excited, but it was a negative. <laughs> it just didn't work. Yeah. So we weren't too disappointed at that point because it was the first go. So we just kept going. We did another IUI straight after. That was negative. And then we did another one after that, and that was also negative. So and is this all was, in the same year? Yep, yep. So that was from May to October. Right. So pretty much one after the other. And they were just all negative cycles. And that was that was pretty hard because you start asking questions at that point and you're only three cycles in. Little did we know there was a long road in front of mm. us. So at that point, I was kind of written off as infertile. So we could move to IVF and get the Medicare rebate. 
So in November 2017, we did our first IVF cycle, which I was so excited for. Like most people aren't excited for IVF because they go in infertile, but this was kind of to me like a guarantee of a baby. Yeah. But nobody explained to us. And this is how I thought I was completely researched on the whole topic. I thought I'd done all the research, but I was so naive that IVF still might not equal a baby. Right. So we went in, I did the IVF cycle. The first one was all pretty easy and went in for our first embryo transfer. Uh, So we transferred a day three embryo for the first one and I fell pregnant, which was great. And we're like, well, that was easy. So that was really exciting. And then at six weeks, we saw a heartbeat, which was, you know, obviously you're over the moon. It was just so exciting. And being first pregnancy and having nothing happen, we were just so naively happy. I didn't ever think that anything could go wrong. But at nine weeks, we went for a dating scan. And I insisted on having a dating scan, even though I didn't technically need one because it was IVF and I'd seen the heartbeat, but I went for one and there was no heartbeat. And that was just devastating. The first one, like we just did not expect it. Yeah, completely blindsided. Completely blindsided. And I just spiraled into an absolute depression. Like I, Mm. I just blamed myself. I just did not cope after that first one. And that was, that was really tough. It was really tough in our relationship. And then I was just like awful to Amanda, to people around, because I just didn't cope. So that took a while to come back from that first one. And then kind of a little while later, I kind of was like, right, well, we've just got to keep going. I really wasn't in the right headspace, but I was just determined that, you know, this had to happen, had to keep going. So we went in for um, a frozen transfer. Because from that first IVF cycle, we got three embryos. So we had another two in the freezer. So we went for frozen transfer and that was negative as well. That was just a negative. It didn't even take. And how does that feel? Like it's like not as devastating as a miscarriage because you haven't had, I don't know, the same bond or is it, is it still devastating? What does that feel like when it's just like, oh, Uh, that was an embryo, but I'm not pregnant. I guess it's a different kind of devastation. Like the the miscarriage was like, I was just so over the moon. I'd completely planned out that child's life, like my life with the baby, my maternity leave, like everything. And then, you know, you physically go through, like I I had a DNC, it was a Mm. miscarriage. So I had to go and have surgery and all that. So that was physically really tough. But having a failed cycle, I just I just always felt like a failure. Mm. And I kind of was embarrassed, you know, because all these people around me were just falling pregnant really easily. And, you know, like it just wasn't happening for me. And at this point it was kind of, this was the fifth try. Mm. So I started taking it pretty hard at this point. So we decided to do a second IVF cycle and bank some more embryos. And the first clinic we went to, Like it just wasn't the right place for us, unfortunately. And we really didn't. I I didn't get a good result. The second IVF cycle and I got two embryos. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most clinics grow the embryos to day five to transfer. But this particular clinic only did to day three. So I kept trying to push to get the embryos grown to day five, but they just wouldn't do it. I was kind of being told that my embryos were really great quality. But later on down the track, we kind of realized that they weren't at all. So in hindsight, the first two IVF cycles that I did at this clinic were just an absolute waste of time and money. But, you know, what can and you do was about anyone g- So no one was giving you any reasons as to like why you weren't getting that many embryos or, or anything like that? No. So this, this clinic, the doctor just kept saying to us, you can't expect to roll six on a dice every time. Yeah. That was the advice that we were given. And I kept pushing, asking, you know, what's wrong with me? I want more testing. Mm. And they would just like, there's nothing wrong with you. you. You've just got to keep trying. So I was getting so frustrated at this point. But anyway, we had these embryos. So we transferred them. And kind of that was in May 2018 that we did the second cycle, transferred an embryo. And that was a chemical pregnancy, which... I'd never heard of. So I got the call after the two-week wait and the nurse just said, oh, well, you're a little bit pregnant. And I was like, well, what does that even mean? Like, what can I do about it? And she's like, oh, there's nothing you can do about it. It won't stick. And that was just kind of it, like just so blasé. 
like, so what does that mean? Like you're showing up pregnant on a test, but mm. there's no pregnancy inside you. Is that what it means? Yeah. So essentially the embryo um, implants, but then kind of dies off. So the HCG starts rising, but then just falls straight away and you get your period. So like technically you fell pregnant, but it wasn't going to last. So when did you find out that something obviously wasn't right and someone told you what to do next? So after that, we kind of transferred the rest of the embryos from that clinic. None of them worked. I had another couple of chemical pregnancies and I just went, no, that's it. We're moving to a different clinic, finding a different doctor. So that's when I started getting more testing and I had laparoscopic surgery. So kind of like keyhole surgery where they look for endometriosis. That was all clear. No endometriosis, nothing. Had heaps of other blood tests, kind of spiraled down the controversial side of looking for natural killer cells, which is like an immune problem. Nothing. Everything was fine. So it wasn't until two more IVF cycles later and more chemical pregnancies and another miscarriage that we um, finally had enough embryos to do PGS testing which is pre-genetic screening. So they test the embryo before it goes in. Um, and we found out that my embryos were genetically abnormal. And So mosaic. you have to have a certain amount of embryos for it to what be worth taking the risk mm. to test it for this. Is that right? A certain amount and a certain quality. So mm-hmm. they have to be a higher quality because um, they grade the embryos when they're first fertilised. So I, I finally got embryos that were of a higher quality. Um, so I got four embryos in that cycle. They tested three and we transferred one. So this was a really messed up day. I got the call to say that I was pregnant. I was really excited. Two hours later, I got the call from the genetic counsellor to say that the test results from my embryos had come back and none of them were genetically normal. Oh, so that you'd already gosh. had the transfer. Yeah, I'd already had the transfer. Oh. Um, and they kind of said, oh, look, it probably doesn't mean anything for the embryo that you've transferred. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. But at that point, I knew that I was going to have another miscarriage and I did. So, But what do you mean it's not going to mean something? Like surely yeah. doesn't that mean that you'll either have a miscarriage or there will be a defect? It, it'll be genetically abnormal? Well, sorry, they hadn't tested that embryo. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. So they, that one they transferred fresh and then right. they tested the other three. So the fresh one... I ended up miscarrying and the other three were genetically abnormal. So I kind but of But you just... kind of knew because there was four and three yeah. of them had been confirmed to be genetically abnormal. You were yeah. pretty certain that the one you... Oh, gosh. Especially so then the what? It's just three, like yeah. did you just feel like you were in a waiting game? Yeah, yeah. So we had a dating scan at I think it was seven weeks and the night before Amanda said to me like what are your thoughts on this what's your gut feeling and I said it's not going to be good like there's not going to be a heartbeat tomorrow and she was like okay well you've been right before so all right let's just get through this then so we went and there was actually a heartbeat but the baby was measuring small Mm. and the heartbeat was a bit irregular so for another two weeks we had more scans Mm. and it took another like two weeks uh until the heart stopped and then oh my gosh again yeah and how was your mental health I was gonna say how are you functioning as a human at this point I wasn't no (laughs) I wasn't um I was diagnosed with PTSD yeah yeah and I was on medication it's just awful and by this point there was just so many pregnant people around me yeah I just had that many IVF drugs in me I was crazy I was absolutely crazy so did you ever think at this time well why doesn't your partner Amanda try and put the embryo in her yeah so Amanda never wanted to carry a pregnancy okay so that was never an an option option. but at this point I kind of just went all right well I'm done with me uh, and my eggs like we just can't we, we we kind of had to do it like a business decision I was like we've spent way too much money at this point how much do you think you'd spent to this point um over a hundred thousand <gasps> even with rebates yeah you're yep. kidding yeah. oh the emotional heartache but then knowing that mm-hmm. so that's the thing it's like emotional physical and financial oh it's the stress of it all the stress yeah and we were just broken. Were you able point. to work at this point? I was, yeah. I um, 
had to. <laughs> we had to yeah, pay for but I just don't know yeah. how your mind can think about anything else. I mean, I know even going into trying to conceive a child full stop, it's all you can think about, even if it only takes a few months, it's all you think about. It's like, oh, I'm this many yeah. days from my period or like maybe that little fart was a you know, baby, you know, and so I can't even imagine you're this far in, you're this financially invested in it. How you even think about anything else? I didn't. I I really didn't. And, you know, we were having huge fights at this point Mm. because I, I was crazy. Like all I could talk about, all I could think about, like constantly, like on my period tracking app and Mm. constantly researching different IVF medications and you know, on IVF forums and all of this. And it got to a point where Amanda was just staying back at work and working really late because she didn't want to come home because I was I was crazy. Did there ever come a point where Amanda said, I don't think I want children anymore? Yeah, yeah. She yeah. said, look, we can be happy and we can be childless. And it just kind of wasn't an option for me. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, or, or not at that point. I just couldn't fathom that. Like all I ever wanted to be was a mum. I just wanted mm. to experience pregnancy and birth. That's all I wanted. And so we kind of got to lockdown at the beginning of last year in 2020. 1.0. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <It's fun. laughs> yeah. And she was like, okay, look, I'll do an egg collection. I'll do one while I'm in lockdown, while I'm working from home and I don't have to, I can just sit at home in comfy pants and, mm, yeah, you know, if my face breaks out from the hormones, no one's going to see it. So that's what we did. We um, got her doing IVF, which was huge because she hates medical situations. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm very, very thankful for that. But I guess it's a huge sacrifice on both parts because it's not necessarily something she wanted to go through. Mm. And then you're watching someone do something that you so badly wanted to be able to do. That's layered. Like that's. Oh, yeah. Like Like there must have been resentment both ways. Oh, yeah, definitely. And then but also watching each other from the other side of the fence, seeing Amanda on medication and me having to deal with her on medication. Yeah. The tables turned. It was really interesting. We both got a new respect for each other as well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) How did hers go? Amazing. The first cycle was cancelled because they went really conservative with her medications the first time because she has a high AMH level, which is your ovarian reserve. Right. So they weren't worried about her overstimulating. Uh, So they went quite conservative with her medication. She didn't respond. So we cancelled that one. And then we went again. And she got uh, she got something like sixteen embryos. Wow. Oh, uh, sorry, sixteen eggs. Wow. Yeah. They they fertilized really well. They're just like really high quality. We got PGS testing, so we got four PGS normal embryos. Um, what is PGS? If you don't remember, that's the uh, genetic. The, the genetic. Testing. Okay. Yeah. yeah. The pre-genetic screening. Yep. So they test for like you know all kind of genetic disorders like cystic fibrosis and and those kind of things. They were all normal, which was amazing. And then there's another four. So we had eight embryos and they were all amazing quality. Wow. So almost a year ago, so in November 2020, we transferred uh, one of Amanda's frozen embryos to me. And it was actually the day that we were moving house. Of course. <laughs> it wasn't stressful at all. You just no. didn't want to have to lift any boxes. Come yeah, on. yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it stuck. And that was Leo. So first go with her mm-hmm. eggs. Yeah. And how did you go into that pregnancy? Were you anxious about that or did it feel like a fresh slate? I was really anxious, really, really anxious. It kind of felt fresh in a way because During my cycles, I never really had a problem getting pregnant. It was just staying pregnant. So Mm. it it kind of felt like this was it. But at the same time, we were way too anxious to Mm. kind of admit that. And at about six weeks, I had a bleed and I just lost my mind. And my fertility doctors had kind of urged me to go through the private system, not public, just so like I would have one point of contact, one doctor, a midwife, and kind of a doctor that had like a high risk background as well, just in case. And so that's the option that I went. It was never kind of what I considered before. I was always going to go public, but I'm really glad that we went the private option because at six weeks I could just call the obstetrician. He got me in for an ultrasound. You didn't have to explain your backstory. You didn't have to. Yeah. And um, there was a heartbeat. So Mm. that was great. And then 
uh, kind of he did weekly scans for me up until 12 weeks yeah which was just so good I needed it (laughs) by the time I'd get to that fifth day or something I'd just be hanging out for that scan again so yeah and when did you kind of start to relax in the pregnancy that okay I think we're okay I think we're going to get through this probably kind of happened in stages so even though the embryo was genetically tested and we knew that it was fine, we still did the NIPT test. And once those results came back, we knew they were also fine, relaxed a little bit. And then when I started feeling him kicking at about 17 weeks or moving, relaxed a little bit. Mm. And it just kind of, at every stage, you know, once you get to like the 24-week viability mark, like relax a little bit more and yeah. But like I was just hyper-vigilant the whole time, like, always symptom checking always every time I went to the toilet I'd check for blood like it's just it was never ending so yeah I I can't I just listening to your story how incredible that your partner didn't want to ever be pregnant (laughs) and, and you did and you carried her egg like it is just the most beautiful story do you see see it as beautiful or is there a part I mean because it's easy from the outside to go oh my gosh how complete like it's Mm. Amanda's egg you carried him you gave birth to him but is that how you see it or do you still mourn the fact that it's not your egg I do like it, it is amazing you know we were both involved in the process you know he's a part of me I grew him but I do still mourn a little bit that I'll never have a genetic child, which is really tough. Look, I'm, I'm kind of, I am over it, but I'm not, <laughs> if you know what I mean. Like it's, it, it's kind of tough. Like my nephew looks just like me. Yeah. Kind of that has that family resemblance. My sister's pregnant at the moment and her baby will kind of look just like me as well. Um, we're but all kind it, of like fair and light eyed. Is there an option? And I know that your partner said, I don't want to be pregnant. Would mm. there be an option of her carrying your egg? No, because I just don't think they're going to, they're just not going to work. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. Like we don't really know why they're all genetically abnormal. Like there's just, it's yeah. just one of those things we're just never going to get a good answer. But yeah, like it, it, it just, no, it's just not going to happen. So, you know, it is what it is. And look, I'm so lucky that I have this option to to have a partner. That's incredible. That I can use her eggs and mm. I can still have this baby. And I'm, you know, I'm so bonded with him. Like I, I really bonded with him through pregnancy and he's amazing. He's he's incredible. Like it's just so magical that we actually have a child. So yeah. Do you, is it surreal for you? Like going through mm. such a process to get him and then you're like, oh my God, he's here. Yeah. Like pretty much every day we're like, is he even real? Like <laughs> is someone going to just come swoop in and just be like, oh, no, hang on, you shouldn't have this child. We're taking this back now. How old is Leo now? He's three months. Yeah. Oh, little yeah. dumpling. And I've heard from some other IVF mums that they feel, I don't know, they almost feel like they can never complain about motherhood or or never feel like they can have hard days because of what they went through physically, emotionally, financially to have that baby. Is that something that you struggle with at all? No, luckily. Like I'm still just on such a high Mm. and I, I kind of almost feel weird about saying this as well. Like it's, I don't know, it's kind of this situation where you can't win, I don't think, but I just have this incredible birth with him. And like all I ever wanted was to experience pregnancy and birth. And I just had like such an incredible time. And now all I've ever wanted to be was a mum. And I've got him and I'm just still on such a high three months later. You know, and I mean, we're in lockdown. We haven't seen many people, but my mum's just like, this is the happiest I've ever seen you. So, yeah. (laughs) And tell us a bit about your birth. What was it like? Oh, fast and furious. (laughs) So he was a big baby at we kind of knew that there was that he could come early because he was so big. He was measuring full term at 36 weeks. And so at 36 weeks, uh, I lost my mucus plug one night and Amanda started freaking out, started Googling, and I was like, nah, nah, nah it's fine, it's fine. Like, yeah, it can regenerate. It could be, you know, days or weeks away. Don't worry about it. An hour later, I went to go and have a shower, took my pants off, and my waters just broke <gasps> everywhere, like movie style, just. <laughs> and called a bedroom into the bathroom. I'm just standing in a puddle, and she's just like, "Oh my god, oh my god!" 
And um, so, yeah, we live with my parents at the moment. So she ran upstairs and was like, her water broke, her water broke. <laughs> was what on the phone know? to the hospital. <laughs> and I'm just like, duh, 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 duh. And I was like, it's fine, it's fine. We've got plenty of time and got in the shower. The hospital said, yeah, just make your way in. So we went in and the first midwife we saw, that was actually a bit of a disaster. She was like, no, it's not your water. You've just peed yourself. And I was like, no, no, no like my water broke here's a pad for you to test and she's like no no no. you've just peed yourself and threw the pad in the bin and I was like no no no. I need you to test that because my water definitely broke like it burst everywhere so eventually she tested she's like oh yeah that was your waters I'm like thank you oh my god yeah (laughs) so I was having contractions (laughs) only little ones but I couldn't feel them so they kind of admitted us to the hospital because it that was the beginning of lockdown, so they didn't want me to go home. Yeah. Kind and you were 36 the, weeks. Yeah, so 36 you, weeks, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, like, also he was, like, technically preemie. Yeah. So they wanted me to stay in, which I was, like, fine about, didn't worry me, and kind of got admitted to the ward about, like, 10 o'clock. By about 11.30, contractions started. I told Amanda to go to bed because I was like, this could take forever. So she went to sleep. By about 2.30, she woke up to me vomiting <laughs> and... um. She was like, oh, do you think I should call the midwife? And I was like, yeah, probably. I, like my contractions are about a minute apart. <laughs> and she was You've like, been doing it on your own. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I thought it was just so early and they were a minute apart. So I was like, this can't be right. Like this, is, yeah. this isn't right. And she was like, oh, my God, okay. So she called the midwife. The midwife looked at my contractions and she's like, yeah, like you're in labour. You've got to come back to the labour ward. And I was like, okay. So we went back. At 3 a.m., they were like, yeah, you're definitely in labor. Like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to get in the bath. So she said, okay. So they started the bath. By 4 a.m., no, by 3.30, I was five centimeters dilated. Good girl. Yeah. And then half an hour later, I was 10 centimeters. <gasps> yeah. And he was born at 5 a.m. So it was just. Hey, he was ready. I love yeah. that you say your birth was, was fast ready. and furious. It's like the conception was long and laborious. Oh, my the gosh. The birth yeah. was fast and furious. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it really was. And what what so, was yeah. his size, his weight? Sorry. So he was he was 3.4 kilos. But at 36 weeks, wow. Yeah. 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 So he had to go to special care and he was the biggest baby in there. I bet. All the other babies were like 1.5 kilos and he's this 3.4 kilo baby. And when did you find out you were having a boy? So we actually found out at seven weeks. Right. um, Because of the embryo testing. Yeah. So when they test the embryo, the PGS testing, they also test the sex as well. But that's kind of under lock and key because you can't pick the gender in Australia as yes. the episode the other week. Yeah. Good um, girl. We were just checking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Checking. Are you listening? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's one of the best episodes. That and one. was there, I it's hope good. this doesn't come across as insensitive, but was there any part of you that, you know, being two mums that you were hoping to have a girl or did you not care? I didn't care. At this point I was just like, I just want a baby. I don't care. We kind of had a feeling that we'd have a boy. Amanda was a bit taken aback at first and was like, well, what do we do with a boy? So it it took her a little while to wrap her head around that. But now, like, who cares? Like, he's amazing. So, yeah. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) I'm so happy for you guys. What an absolute journey. I saw you post something on Instagram about the legalities Mm. of not being the biological mother of Leo so what does that mean for you and what have you had to ensure to make sure that you have rights over him so luckily in Australia you don't have to do a whole bunch because I gave birth to him I'm still considered the mother the intended parent whereas in some countries I would have to adopt him right but luckily in Australia we don't have to do that it just worries me sometimes uh like down the track I mean on his birth certificate we're both the mother yeah I was going to ask what is Amanda listed as on the birth certificate so she's listed as parent so I'm mother and she's parent um, because you can't have mother and mother and I'm not sure if that's just New South Wales or the whole of Australia Mm -hmm. but I, I do like I do just have these fears that I don't know down the track that some I don't know laws will change and it you know it goes into this like backwards society where all of a sudden they're like no sorry you're not related to this child he's not yours like no same-sex parents can't have children and too late I know (laughs) and it's out of your control so what will he call you both well 
at the moment, I'm mummy yeah. and Amanda's mama. Cute. But oh. Oh. <laughs> hello. He's dummy. Get back to sleep. I hate to break it to you that he'll probably say mama before he says mummy. Yes. So you picked the wrong one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah. So we'll just let him kind of like pick the names and just, yeah. you know, see how he goes. Like we're pretty easygoing and flexible with that kind of stuff. So I mean he'll probably also his first words will be dada also, but <laughs> Or grandma. You don't know. We never know. Yes, and is there be. anything, you know, I'm really conscious of educating my kids on the fact that there's lots of different, you know, family types out there. But I get really conscious when it's like, oh, this is the silliest example. It's going to make me sound like an alco. But, you know, if they go to pick (laughs) up like my wine or a gin and tonic, I go, no, that's a mummy daddy drink. But I mean it as though like that's a grown up drink. And then I think about it Mm. and I'm like, oh, does she then think that, you know, everyone has a mummy and daddy? Like, what do you hope to instill into Leo so that, you know, he's a real like advocate or like really proud of the family that he comes from? We're going to be honest with him about where he came from. I mean, it's kind of hard not to be, I guess, but, you know, we just want him to feel comfortable in the fact that he has two mums and feel comfortable in, you know, I guess standing up for himself if he comes across any judgment or bullying or judgment yeah so hopefully that'll never happen I I don't know kind of from what I've heard like kids with same-sex parents seem to be pretty resilient and just kind of like no this is how my family is so hopefully that's the case but even like everybody around us like my nieces are really cute they were playing with their cousins and whatever game they're playing and with dolls or something and one of their other cousins that isn't related to us kind of said oh well I'm going to be the mummy and you can be the daddy. And our niece turned around and said, no, I'm going to be the mummy too because there can be two mummies. Oh, you know, that's like so Like Auntie good. Elena and Absolutely. Auntie Amanda. Absolutely. Yeah. That's gorgeous. Yeah. That's so, so good. So, you know, hopefully. I feel like it's becoming more and more common, you know. It's it's, yeah, it's less definitely. of a rarity. So hopefully, you know, as he grows up, it's just going to be seen as normal as it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. I hope so. And, like, you know, hopefully... I mean, the area that we live in is a little bit conservative, but hopefully the school he goes to will understand and if they don't, we'll just move in (laughs) to somewhere that does. absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your story. We always have mums that are going through the IVF journey who want to hear more stories of how other people made it out the other side. So thank you so, so much as it's not an area that Jade or I can speak about, you know, from experience. And we're so stoked that you finally got your little Leo and I'm sure in some weird way it all makes sense now. But um, yeah, sorry you had to go through that, but stoked for you now. (laughs) I know. Look at him. He's so beautiful. Can you show us? I know no one else can see him, but I want to see him. Oh, look Hello. at you. You've been so quiet. <laughs> Hi, darling. Oh, great. Everyone's like, cool. All we can hear is you gooing and garring. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to leave it there. But thank you so much. Thank you so much for speaking to me. And I don't know, I do like to say that, like, if anyone does want to contact me and chat about IVF to, to go for it, because I know how hard it is going through it. I, you know, I skimmed over my story a bit, but it is super hard and I'm always there for people who want to chat. So, yeah. And we'll link your Instagram in the show notes. Thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.